Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hey guys, as coders and billers, we get it. Healthcare compliance can be a hassle, inconvenient, and a headache that never goes away. That's why they developed EpiCompliance, an easy-to-use software that helps you stay up-to-date and on track with the ever-changing requirements of healthcare compliance. This cloud-based software covers HIPAA, privacy and security, OSHA, and the ACA and OIG Medicare Waste, Fraud, and Abuse Prevention Compliance Requirements. It includes forms, policies, tasks, and mandated compliance training all in one easy to use interface. Do you need to send and organize your business associate agreements to your clients? You can do that with Epi Compliance through their Business Associate Center. And most importantly, in our profession, Epi Compliance covers you with billing and coding and prevention of waste, fraud, and abuse compliance. Don't risk getting on the CMS, HHS, OIG list of excluded individuals and entities which is a permanent record on the internet. Ready to stay up to date and compliant every month with EpiCompliance? You have to do it. Did I mention it's required by law? Might as well do it right with EpiCompliance. Right now, Live as a Coder podcast listeners can save 20% on their subscription by visiting epicompliance.com forward slash Ozark and use the discount code Ozark20. That's EPI compliance forward slash O-Z-A-R-K and use the discount code Ozark20. That's O-Z-A-R-K two zero. You work on your business. Let Epi Compliance take care of your compliance. Hello, this is Jennifer McNamara with the Life as a Coder podcast. Welcome to the show. Our program is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, and our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Our disclaimer, as always, is that our podcast is not to be taken as legal, or professional advice. It's based on our years of experience in the coding and billing industry. And of course, our goal is to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. So the thoughts I'm expressing, coding guidelines, tips, and and everything are based on my knowledge and my thoughts alone. So today we're going to talk about something that I'm really excited about right now, especially. I just, of course, stepped into the world of cardiology on my job the hospital. So I'm super excited to talk about some of the things I like to learn and, and dig into when it comes to coding for cardiovascular services. And I had some requests, of course, always for cardiovascular. So cardiovascular coding, ICDs, LCDs, and the dialysis circuit. So I've been in coding course for 20 years. And in that time, I've coded almost every single specialty. And the last two on my list were cardiovascular, cardiology, of course, and OBGYN. So I've crossed one of those off my list. I am now um, digging into the world of cardiology and cardiovascular coding into some interventional radiology as well. 
And so, of course, every day now I'm learning, I'm, I'm getting new um, things in my brain that I, of course, knew as an instructor, but I'm digging deeper and getting into those payer guidelines, those LCD policies, and really learning more about something that, of course, I thought I knew. So we're, of course, always learning, always trying to find ways to advance our knowledge, right? So I am gonna dig in and talk about some of the uh, pacemaker, the defibrillator coding. Uh, we're gonna talk about, of course, the LCD policy that's out there uh, for those services. And the dialysis circuit, we know several years ago in 2017, uh, we had some updates to the coding, right? 2017 was a big year, wasn't it? I feel like there were a lot of changes in coding in 2017, at least for the, the codes I was using. Now for the dialysis circuit, just keep in mind when we talk about that, uh, there are other surgeons that, of course, uh, perform those. When I was working in general surgery, of course, our general surgeons also performed those uh, AV fistula dialysis circuit procedures, but they are found in the 30,000 series codes, right, um, in the circulatory system codes because they affect that system. So you're going to find that cardiovascular surgeons, of course, will perform those as well as general surgeons. So let's dig in and talk about our pacemakers and our implantable defibrillators. So uh, these, of course, code ranges are found in 33202 to 33273. And of course, these are inserted into the body, right, for that electrical shock to the heart, um, shock it into that internal rhythm, right? Uh, when a pacemaker is, of course, put into the body, there is a pocket that's made. So when you watch videos or you look at diagrams, you're gonna see some of this, of course, illustrated. And they have what your generator and your leads that are placed inside the chest. You can, of course, see this, of course, on YouTube, different things. Now, there are times where there are only components used, right? Which we understand that as coders, there are times where only a portion of something um, is done. And so you have to have separate codes for that. So it could be, of course, reinserted, repaired, or replaced. So you need to know what actually is happening to that device. And you need to know other things as well. Okay, so you need to know about the electrodes. Now you might see the word electrode or lead, but the electrode, of course, is the same as the lead. That's what that is, the electrical part. And it can be placed, of course, in the atrium, the ventricle, or both. In a single chamber system, of course, one lead is used, one electrode, pacing the right ventricle. A dual chamber pacemaker, of course, will have two leads, one in the right atrium and the right ventricle. And so we also have to know, of course, whether or not it involves initial placement, replacement, upgrade, repair of either all of the components or are there separate components being, of course, worked on. So first of all, yes, where are the electrodes going? What type of procedure are we doing? And then the approach is it epicardial or is it transvenous? So let's talk about those. So think of the word epicardial. So they're opening that chest cavity and they're placing that lead on the epicardial sac of the heart. So heart, cardial, you know, that's what we're thinking of within that, right? And then transvenous, through a vein. Trans meaning through, and then of course venous meaning vein. This of course, they're gonna access the vein, either subclavian or jugular, and they're gonna insert that lead or electrode into the vein. Now, for coding purposes, when it comes to the epicardial approach, uh, we see codes 33202 and 33203, giving us those different, of course, approaches for open incision versus endoscopic approach. And of course, we always read the full description of our codes, don't we? And we see in parentheses, it tells us more about those approaches. So for the open approach, it's going to be by thoracotomy, 
median sternotomy or subxiphoid approach. And then for the endoscopic approach, either thoracoscopy or pericardioscopy. So think of those approaches as well within the pacemaker uh, electrode insertion approach. And of course, you know, we continue with our thought here on these different, of course, approaches. When we come to transvenous, of course, again, looking at our code selections, we can look at, for instance, that procedure code 33206, insertion of a new or replacement of a permanent pacemaker with transvenous electrodes, atrial. And then we have 07, which is, of course, the same wording, right? Remember, anything after that semicolon changes the code description, right? Anything prior to the semicolon will, of course, be very, of course, the similar wording. And then, so afterwards, we have ventricle. Then with 08, we have initial, newer, replacement, um, atrial, and ventricle. So it has a different meaning there. So always watch those code descriptions and read all of our notes there. Read all of our parenthetical notes. Read our exclusion notes, inclusion notes, also code stuff like when it says to code also the removal of an old pacemaker pulse generator, an electrode when replacing the entire system, it tells you how to code those. So there's a lot of variables you have to be aware of. Now I'm going to start talking about, of course, some defibrillator codes too. So I want to make sure that, of course, for those of you that are new and understand, of course, just of course, technically what the difference between them are, right? So just really quickly, a pacemaker, of course, is going to keep that heart beating at the proper rate and from beating too slow. It's going to, of course, uh, shock those people if they need that activity to be shocked, right? Only um, if it needs to be activated. And then the implanted defibrillator, of course, is bigger. Um, of course, it's going to prevent death from a cardiac arrest, for instance. And so you're going to see some of those codes on the LCD policy, some of those, of course, tachycardia, arrhythmias, um, you know, the ventricular tachycardia, some of those diagnoses that you see um, being used uh, to support putting in a defibrillator. So I just wanted to highlight that really quickly because I'm going to move uh, back and forth with some terminology and I want to make sure that everyone understands uh, the differences between the two. Uh, but again, it's so crucial when coding specifically for the pacemakers versus the defibrillators. When I'm teaching coding, I always say, get out your highlighters, get out your pens and pencils and make some circles and highlights uh, with your codes because in that section, it can get very confusing when you switch from pacemakers to defibrillators, um, leads versus the generator and what you're replacing. Are you replacing the whole thing? Are you, of course, repairing a part of it? So you need to know what's being replaced, what's coming in, what's going out. And it's really, of course, can be confusing unless you keep all those terms straight in your head, right? So let's keep those terms straight. Let's get our books all marked up so we can know the differences. Maybe highlight pacemaker in yellow, defibrillator in orange or green, whatever color you like, so you can keep those codes separate. Now, some of the codes, of course, do mention the generator, don't they? So what is that generator? Well, we have the generator. This contains the, the electronics and the battery. And, of course, one or more of the electrodes or leads. It's placed in that subcutaneous pocket that's created uh, either in the subclavicular site or underneath the abdominal muscles just below the rib cage. And we already talked about, of course, the approach to get those electrodes inserted, right? So when you look at an image, you can see where that battery, right, that generator is going. And you can see where those electrodes or leads are going. So it's important to visualize that. Now, there, of course, are lots and lots of guidelines, right, we have to be aware of. 
Now, when you replace a pacemaker pulse generator, there is a single code that is for the removal and replacement of a single lead system, a dual lead system, or a multiple lead system. Now, for replacement of an implantable defibrillator pulse generator, you have a single lead system, dual, and multiple. So, what are you replacing? Are you replacing a pacemaker pulse generator or are you replacing an implantable defibrillator pulse generator? What are you, of course, doing? And so there are lots of guidelines in that section. So I advise you to go there uh, to do that and read those parenthetical notes, of course, for all of that information. Have you heard? Now the CCS exam is available without restrictions. Now is a great time to jumpstart your coding career with one of the most popular certifications in the country. The majority of employers require a CCS credential, and at Ozark Coding Alliance, we're here to help you achieve this goal. Join our workshop this July for only $129 and earn five CEUs. You can register at ccscoder.com. And of course, we already talked about the insertion codes. So let's, of course, move on to another item, which is the biventricular pacing. Now, when you think of the words, think of break apart those words. It's so important. So biventricular. So, of course, bi meaning two and, of course, ventricular meaning ventricle. So we have two ventricles being represented here. So we have codes 33224 to 33225. So when an epicardial lead placement is performed, you're going to report 33224 with your 33202 or 03. Now the electrodes or leads that were dis- that we see, of course, uh, discussed in the CPT guidelines refer to the wires that run to that area of the heart muscle to stimulate it. Remember what those leads or electrodes do. And then also understand the guidelines when it comes to that biventricular pacing. So the code specifically say for the 33224, insertion of pacing electrode, cardiac venous system for left ventricular pacing with attachment to a previously placed pacemaker or defibrillator, including revision of the pocket, removal, insertion, and a replacement of the existing generator. So this is, of course, a lot of inclusions here, right? And then, of course, 33225 is an add-on code. It's also for left ventricular pacing. At the time of insertion of an implantable defibrillator pacemaker pulse generator, and it says for upgrade to a dual chamber system. So read that very carefully and learn how to code those appropriately. And then, of course, right, it gets super confusing and complicated when we have to remove and replace with a different type of system, right? So whenever you, of course, of course, need to remove the pacemaker system and replace it with a defibrillator system, we have to, of course, know all the pieces. So I'm going to give you an example here that I use when I teach. And so this is, of course, if you you can't really visualize it, but you can listen and take notes if you need to. So... There are four codes that are needed when a pacemaker system is removed and replaced by a dual defibrillator system. So you also have the biventricular electrodes and maybe even, of course, single codes for other services. So let's think about a patient. They, of course, go in for a complete dual pacemaker system removal, and they're going to, of course, implant a dual defibrillator system. So they're going to have two transvenous electrodes and a biventricular electrode with the use of fluoroscopy. But of course, fluoroscopy, of course, is is, is not going to be billed separately. 
So we have 33249. That is our insertion or replacement of a permanent implantable defibrillator system. It does, of course, in the description include the transvenous leads, single or dual. So ours is a dual, right? So that covers us. But we have the removal of the transvenous pacemaker electrodes. We have to remove those. It was a dual lead system. So that's what we're going to report, the 33235. And then we have, what else do we have? It also mentioned that they, of course, put in that biventricular electrode. And that's the add-on code we just mentioned, that 33225, insertion of a biventricular pacing electrode. And then we have, of course, the removal of the dual system generator. So pacemaker generator. So these are things when you, of course, look at your uh, reports, look for words, look for the pacemaker word, look for the defibrillator word, and isolate what is being done to the pacemaker and what is being done to the defibrillator. What are we putting in? What are we taking out? Specifically, what portions of that device are we removing and replacing? So we can capture the correct codes. Of course, some of these have a lot of inclusion notes, right? And we have parenthetical statements to be aware of. So it's just an example of that. So we have the 33249, 33235, 33225, and then, of course, the 33233. A lot of guidelines there to be aware of, but that just kind of breaks down and explains that we have that, of course, removal of the pacemaker system with the electrodes and the generator, and we have the implantation of that new dual defibrillator system with the two electrodes, but we also, of course, did that biventricular electrode code as well. Now, I know a lot of you, of course, are preparing for an exam or you're just trying to improve your skills in a certain area. So, of course, at Ozark Coding Alliance, don't forget, they do have practice exams. Uh, you can, of course, get low cost, $20 per exam. And, of course, you're going to get 20 to 30 questions uh, on a, of course, quiz based on cardiology or is it gastroenterology. Of course, we have uh, plastics and we have physical therapy. We have so many different types of exams that you can take, orthopedics. Uh, all for $20. So if you want to, of course, uh, learn more about and test your knowledge, we have a quiz section. And so check out that on Ozark Coding Alliance uh, website, ozarkcoding.com, or reach out to us here at the Life as a Coder podcast series and check our show notes uh, for information on that. Let's move along. I wanted to really dig into that LCD policy because, of course, in my new job, I am just, of course, learning the other side of things. You know, I learned the coding guidelines and I teach the coding guidelines to help my students pass our CPC exam. But when you get into, of course, coding it in a live environment, there are so many more variables. That's why billers and coders have to think the same. We have to think and we have to train ourselves to learn. Even if you're just a biller right now and you're not certified, it's a really great goal to have because I think if you can get your brain wrapped around some of these coding guidelines, it will definitely help you understand why there's a billing guidelines, why those billing rules are out there from certain payers. Wrap your mind around both items if you can. So we know not everyone has a desire to be a coder, but if you can learn the basic guidelines and, of course, understand them, to a certain extent, it's really going to help you as a biller. But as coders, we definitely, definitely, definitely need to be well-versed in billing guidelines and in payer guidelines if we're going to be successful. So one of the things I want to talk about is that LCD policy. Now, all LCD policies have article guidance, and they have, of course, the official of course, uh, billing and coding LCD uh, guidelines. Now, usually what we look for is our main concern, what is? What diagnosis codes can we bill? 
So usually that's why we go to the article, isn't it? But usually above the article, they have a lot of information that we need to read through. And especially with this particular article, the A56355, the billing and coding for the implantable automatic defibrillators, we have some guidance here. Now, I want you to read carefully through this. Uh, normally what happens in this court I deal with every day is your hospital, when they do the order, they have to fill out a medical necessity form. I don't know how different hospitals do it, but at our hospital, we have an NCD form the provider fills out, and he has to tell us, of course, if they have a history of sustained ventricular tachycardia. Of course, we have to know if they have had an acute MI, how long ago uh, was that acute MI. We have to know things about, of course, the classification of heart failure. We have to know all those things. And there is a slew of reporting uh, guidelines listed here. We have one, two, three, four, five, six items here that we have to read through and it can get very confusing. So, you know, normally for me, like what I've been seeing lately, of course, is that first bullet is the patient, of course, do they have an episode of sustained ventricular tachycardia? And it says either spontaneous or induced by an EP study. Now, in the ICD-10-CM index, whenever I'm coding and I'm trying to find my code, I'm looking for specifically I-47.2. That's one of the diagnosis codes that is reportable to cover my patient for getting this covered, right? The national covered indications. So I-47.2 is ventricular tachycardia, but in the non-essential modifiers, it uses that word sustained. So when we think about coders and billers and then we think about physicians, sometimes a physician is going to say something in a way that is what he recognizes uh, as terminology, and it may not exactly correlate to a word or description in ICD-10. So it's our job to take what we know from the provider statement and understand how that relates to our codes. Currently, there isn't a code that specifically says uh, that it says induced by EP study. There isn't a word for that. But he did document that it was ventricular tachycardia. And so that, of course, is I-47.2. Doesn't matter what it says, either sustained or just regular ventricular tachycardia, it's the same code, I-47.2. Now, when he says, when my physician says induced by an EP study, that's what he means. He means that he had this EP study done, and that's what led him to the conclusion that they needed to, of course, put in this device. Um, and so we have to understand that. But it also says not associated with an acute MI. So the guidelines do tell us that, of course, it has to be in number bullet number two, if they're going to have had a prior MI, and they have an ejection fraction, the LVEF, of less than 0.30. They can't have had an MI within the last 40 days. So you have to look to see when that happened. And so documentation is so important. So you need to, of course, look for that documentation. So I'm looking for those things, all those bullets that are checked. If they, of course, have a history of VT, sustained VT, um, or if they have that history of MI, do they have the heart attack by the New York uh, Heart Association classification? What is that classification? Those are things I'm looking for. And then it goes down further, of course, if they, of course, have had a cabbage, um, have they had another indication? Have they also had an MI in the last 40 days? Um, and so 
it gives you indications there. And then we go down to number four, patients who've had a severe non-ischemic dilated cardiomyopathy. So we're looking for that specific terminology, but no personal history of cardiac arrest or sustained VT or class two, three failure or LVEF less than 35. If they haven't had any of those things, but they have had that dilated cardiomyopathy, it asks you more questions. So you really have to look at what the patient has, look at what you're, what's documented, read through those bullets there and pinpoint which one applies to your situation. And so you just got to maybe kind of make yourself, some people make spreadsheets and of course, highlight all of these pieces and plug them in. But again, those medical necessity, those NCD forms in the hospital are what's going to really help you. So then again, look at those guidelines, look at those, uh, particular codes that are applicable. And of course, for the most part, what I'm looking for, what I see mostly in my situation lately, of course, is the I-4 7.2 is typically what my physician is documenting for those specifically. We're going to move along and now and talk about our dialysis circuit coding. I love talking about this, especially since I've worked in general surgery for so many years and coded these regularly. And now I'm, of course, in cardiovascular cardiology coding and getting into interventional radiology. So I'm looking forward to learning more about different items, of course, in the uh, circulatory system. But I want to talk about these because I had a special request to talk about the dialysis circuit peripheral versus central. So there are procedures that took an, an underhaul, of course, when we coded these previously before 2017, because I've been coding general surgery since 2014. So when 2017 hit, I, of course, had to be aware of these new updates to our dialysis circuit codes. But it's really important to understand terminology, especially for this. So we're talking about the arteriovenous dialysis circuit, and it's surgically created. So we think of the word anastomosis. That's a connection, right? So what does the word anastomosis mean? I want you to stop and look it up. So it's a connection between adjacent channels, tubes, fibers, or other parts of a network. In medicine, it refers to a connection made surgically between adjacent blood vessels, parts of the intestine, or other channels of the body. So in GI, of course, I look at the colon, we see the word anastomosis frequently. And then of course, in this area, we're gonna see those Anastomosis being surgically created between an artery and a vein, arteriovenous, AVF. Those are, it's another, of course, acronym you're going to see. So the blood will, of course, be able to pass directly from the artery into the vein. And that is what is going to be accomplished. Now, once their fistula, their AV fistula has matured, ready to, of course, for use in dialysis, they're going to have two needles that are going to be inserted into their vein just beyond the anastomosis. And the one that's closest to the anastomosis, that connection between the artery and the vein, that one is going to carry the blood to the dialysis machine. The one that's farthest away from that connection returns the blood to the patient's body. So we understand the process, right? So we need to understand that circuit that's happening. So the dialysis circuit is the both the AVF and the AVG. Now we talked about the fistula, the AVF, that arteriovenous fistula, which is that anastomosis creation. But the acronym I mentioned, the AVG, that is, of course, an arteriovenous graft. So that's that segment of blood vessel that's sewn to the artery at one end 
and to the vein of the other. And so you can actually perform this insertion of the needle into the graft. It does not need to mature like the fistula, so it can be used sooner than a fistula. So that's kind of cool, right? So we need to understand the circuits that when they refer to the AVF or the AVG, arteriovenous fistula and arteriovenous graft. So there are several locations, right, this can happen in the forearm, the elbow, the upper elbow. Usually you're going to see the radiocephalic fistula, which is between the radial artery and the cephalic vein. That's in the wrist, okay? Now, we have to understand the coding, right? So what we need to learn is those circuits. So we have the peripheral versus the central. Now, it's really important really to look at a diagram because as I'm, of course, reading this information uh, from our educational guide, I want you to kind of visualize this. I'm going to try to, of course, say it in a way because we're listening to audio education here, say it in a way that's going to make sense to you. So the peripheral segment. So we talked about that arterial anastomosis, right? That connection. It starts there, right? It begins at that arterial anastomosis and goes to the central segment. So we have to know what's included in that, which is, of course, that perianastomotic region. That's the segment of the artery that's just adjacent to the anastomosis. It includes the anastomosis itself and a little short segment on the other side of that anastomosis. Now, when you're looking at the arm, for instance, the peripheral segment will go all the way through the axillary vein. And if you're looking at the cephalic vein, so hopefully you can see this with me on a diagram, that's the outflow vein when it comes to the radiocephalic fistula. And then when the peripheral segment, of course, will then extend through the entire cephalic vein in that instance because of the outflow. For the dialysis circuit in the leg, the peripheral segment extends through the common femoral vein. So you have to know how far that segment goes, that circuit goes in those different areas. So again, the peripheral segment, of course, for the cephalic vein, being the outflow in the radiocephalic fistula, then of course it extends through the entire cephalic vein. For the leg, it goes through the common femoral vein. Now, then we pick up the central segment, right? That comes from, of course, whenever that peripheral segment stops, it comes from the peripheral segment all the way to the right atrium. So that's, of course, the central. Now, when it comes to the arm, the central segment will include the veins that are central to the axillary and the cephalic veins. Think about where the axillary is. It includes the subclavian vein, the innominate brachiocephalic vein, and the superior vena cava. So think about and look at a diagram where those veins are. Now, in the leg, the central segment will be the external iliac vein, the common iliac vein, and the inferior vena cava. So we're looking at these peripheral segments versus central. So think about those differences there. Now we come to the fun part. Let's look at the code. So 36901 all the way to 36909. And of course, we have a hierarchy, which I love talking about hierarchies. I think it's cool how it's done in CPT. So I really actually enjoy the way they did this. Some people get confused by it, but it's really all about reading descriptions and reading what's included. And of course, the step up that we do and what procedures are actually being performed during this dialysis circuit procedure. 
Now you'll notice in 36901 that includes a lot of things, right? It's the injection, um, introduction of those needles and catheters into the circuit, the angiography of that, all the, all the catheter placements, injection of contrast, imaging, all the stuff, right? Fluoroscopic guidance is in there, supervision, interpretation, and that's it, right? It says there in the inclusion notes in your book, it says it includes the access, the placements, and the injection of contrast. But it excludes the 36902 and the 36903. So those, of course, are also peripheral segment, right? It says there in that last part of the description for 02 and 03, everything else is pretty much the same, right? Except for except for the fact that it includes uh, either a transluminal uh, balloon angioplasty. Always remember, find your semicolon. I always teach that in my classes. Find that semicolon and highlight what's after it. It will so help you when you're coding, and especially on an exam. So O2 is with transluminal balloon angioplasty. What comes after the semicolon in O3? Well, after the semicolon, it says, with transcatheter placement of intravascular stents, peripheral dialysis segment, including all the imaging on the SNI, and all angioplasty within the peripheral dialysis segment. So now we have, of course, reached the point where it tells us it includes what is already in 36902. So you can't bill 36902 and 36903. You're only going to bill three because it includes whatever is in two and so forth. So think about it, of course, in those terms. Now, when it comes to the 04 and the 05, uh, plus the 06, we see the similar terminology, don't we? We see the percutaneous transluminal mechanical thrombectomy. We have our base code, right? The 04, and then the course, no inclusion terms, right? Although if we do a different type of approach, of course, we have different codes to use. But then when 05, a course includes all that main part, where is our semicolon? Then it says transluminal balloon angioplasty, peripheral segment, all the imaging that we need, right? To perform the angioplasty says we're not going to report 36904 because it's included in the 05. Next, we move along to the 06. Where's our semicolon? With transcatheter placement of intravascular stents, peripheral segment, it includes, of course, all the angioplasty within that segment. So, of course, it also has the inclusion term. It also includes that angioplasty, right? So we have a stent, we have the angioplasty and all of the stuff that was included in four. So we don't bill five or four if we're gonna bill six. So keep that straight. And it's all in your CPC code book. That's why I always go back to your books. If you're using an encoder, of course, that's helpful as well. Um, but then it says, of course, it excludes the hemodialysis circuit provided by catheter or needle access. So in these procedures, we're doing a percutaneous mechanical thrombectomy with all of those things, right? Um, so we have to know what we're doing at the same time. We have to be aware of all the moving pieces. But then it says that we can also code the balloon angioplasty in the central veins when performed, the 07 and the 08. So now we have other procedures performed through the dialysis circuits that are add-on codes, right? So we have 07. This is a transluminal balloon angioplasty of the central dialysis segment. Um, it includes all of that information, but it says to list in addition to the primary procedure. 
So it says to code first. What? The 36901-06. So if we have to go into that central segment and perform that transluminal balloon angioplasty, it includes all the things mentioned there in the code description, but we're now going to build it as an add-on code with those primary parent codes. I always say coding 101 when it comes to your add-on codes. I hear it termed, you know, parent-child code, add-on code, or your, your main part of your procedure. But remember, add-on codes, of course, go with their parent code. Anytime you see lists separately in addition to the primary procedure, you always have to make sure you look at the description as to what they consider the primary procedure. You cannot bill an add-on code with the wrong uh, code set if it mentions specifically where to put it. And then we have the 08. That is, of course, if they do the stents with the dialysis circuit. It includes all the SNI and all the angioplasty that is required, list separately. So again, you're not going to be able to build that one with the 07. We do have to remember the hierarchy even with these add-on codes. It is also to be listed separately. So hierarchy within our add-on codes now. Code with the 01 to 06 if we code the central segment in addition to peripheral. But it includes the 07 because it includes all the work that is done, that's required to be done with that, that information, right? So 07, of course, of course is of course required if they're going to do that angioplasty. If they're going to do stents and the angioplasty, then of course would be 08. And then we come to 09. This is that dialysis circuit permanent vascular immobilization or occlusion. It includes the main circuit or any accessory veins, endovascular, all the imaging, SNI, to do that, right? So we need to understand how to report this procedure code and how we understand the inclusions. And also notice the very distinct parentheses within the code. I love it says, including main circuit or any accessory veins. So keep that in mind, including the main circuit or any accessory veins. So it can be reported with any of the base peripheral dialysis segment codes. Of course, we have to have our base code. It's an add-on code. And it can also be reported if the mobilization is, of course, from an access other than the dialysis circuit. So maybe the brachiocephalic fistula, the side branch that we code sometimes, right? So keep keep aware of that. There are, it, it, in the description, it specifically says, right, we can, of course, code it for the accessory vessels that come off the circuit. And of course, since we're talking about AV fistulas, I can't not discuss our 368 codes. So I want to talk about the 368 codes and give you some, of course, guidance there as well. Now, sometimes we have codes 36818 to 30 and 31 to 33, whether or not it's a creation, right? Open creation of that fistula or revision of that AV fistula or graft. So if you're doing that AV graft revision or you're doing it as an, of course, creation, you have different options. If you're also taking that catheter, advancing it into that subclavian, and a stent is placed for stenosis, you can actually code the 36832, for instance, for the revision, and the add-on code for the 36908 for the stent placement. 
Because remember, in the 36908, the central segment does include the subclavian and the non or the indominate veins. So we keep aware of that. That, of course, is in the upper extremity. We know, of course, in the lower extremity, we talked about the veins that are included in that. But if we're doing that um, creation of that fistula and it's going to be going in that upper extremity, and we're doing, of course, that revision or we're doing an open creation, whatever code it is, we can add that, of course, stent placement, whatever they're doing in that segment, in that vein, uh, to, of course, accomplish that procedure. So keep in mind those other codes that are applicable. And always use, of course, your encoder if you have one to check for bundles. But uh, most of the time, unless it's a payer-specific thing, uh, it's going to be, of course, listed in your CPT codebook. You can't build this with this. But if there's no inclusion notes and you're doing something, always keep aware of all the moving pieces and, and procedures that are being done. There's a code that exists for uh, you have to keep aware of the inclusion notes and, and, of course, codes that say don't build this with this, right? Your parenthetical statements. But if you are doing something in one area and something else in another and there is a code that exists for it, don't forget to code for it. That's just really important. And, of course, you all know I love talking about procedural coding for the inpatient side, PCS coding. So I didn't forget about y'all. I am going to talk a little bit today about root operations. I'm going to start including some of this in my discussions so I can help all coders and just kind of a review, right, of the things that we deal with. So since we talked about pacemakers today, let's talk about the root operations for coding pacemakers uh, in the inpatient setting. So the root operation for a pacemaker generator is insertion. It is an insertion of a stimulator generator into that subcutaneous, of course, tissue of the chest. Um, it's a device that's used, what, to abnormally slow the heartbeats and so forth. It is insertion. That is the root operation. That's what's happening. And the root operation for insertion of the leads is insertion of an intraluminal device. So again, you're going to have to look for other items when you're coding for PCS. What other things do we have to know? besides root operations. Well, you also have to know your approach, right? So you need to know if it's open, you need to know if percutaneous. Uh, so the leads are usually inserted via percutaneous approach. That's what you're gonna normally see. So let's talk about an example. So first of all, let's think about, of course, looking at our tables, right? There are several sections on our PCS tables we have to be aware of. The section, medical and surgical, the body system. Now, when we're looking at the body system uh, for those pacemaker insertions, if you look under insertion device, it's going to want to know where it's going. And so subcutaneous tissue and fascia, right? And of course, the next thing you need to know, of course, is the body part. So when we think about using our tables, I like to just go to my table uh, in the PCS uh, book because it helps me out there, right? If you look at the table, you're going to see the body part values, um, you know, zero through R. They have things that don't apply because you don't see a device character uh, for the pacemakers. So when you go down, you're going to see the connection. You're going to see clearly that the body part value is the chest because you have a device character for those pacemakers and defibrillators in that section. So that kind of helps you narrow it down. Like if you're not quite sure uh, which body part value goes with which device, sometimes you can just go to the table. You can't really get there from the index. It's not helping, but you at least can get to the insertion character, right? You can get to that. You know that it's the subcutaneous tissue and fascia is where that, of course, body system is. 
and insertion is your root operation, but then how do you get that body part? How do you know exactly if you're kind of not sure where, of course, that's happening? Very clearly, it's the chest, right? And that's what you're going to see. Uh, so when you go forward, you're going to see other items too because you may have removal. Um, and so let's look at the removal code. So we already know, of course, our body system, right, is our subcutaneous tissue and fascia in this, of course, section. And then we're also going to be looking for removal. Now, the P character, the definitions for all these root operations, of course, in your tables there for you, taking out or off a device from a body part. That is what removal root operation means. And they give you different um, information there as well. So again, we have the root operation. Um, so we have medical and surgical zero. J is our body system that, or that's J, or subcutaneous tissue and fascia. And the removal is, of course, that P character. But then we have to, of course, find where, what body part we're removing that uh, device from. So we have different options, the head and neck. We have, of course, the fascia, the trunk. And you're going to see different things there. So what you're looking for, okay, what are you removing? What kind of device? Is it open or percutaneous? But if you look specifically in those sections of the trunk, you're going to see those items that you're removing, like, of course, the monitoring device, a cardiac rhythm device, uh, and so forth. So you're looking for that. If you look under head and neck, you're not going to see anything that applies to your removal of your device your generator or your leads. You're not going to see any of that, of course, applicable. And the same goes um, when you go to the letter T. And you're going to see different options. You have two sections there. One for the letter T, you have your approach, open or percutaneous, and then you have external. So within that, you next move to your device characters. What kind of device do I have? And so forth. So let's say that I'm removing a single chamber generator. So I already know I have zero JP for my removal. Um, and then I have T as my subcutaneous tissue and fascia of the trunk. And I know that my procedure is open because I've already discovered that. Say for instance, it's open. And then I'm looking for my device character. What kind of device am I removing? Well, I'm gonna choose character P. That is a cardiac rhythm related device. That is the device that applies in my situation. So that's my, of course, character for character six. And then of course, you have no qualifier listed or available. So you're done, right? So what a cool thing. I love PCS because it's buildable, right? Every single portion of that procedure has a place. There's a place for everything in that procedure to fully describe it. So I know it's a surgical procedure. I know what body system it was a part of. I know what type of procedure I'm performing, removal, right, um, of a device from a body part. And then I have, of course, my body part. I know where they took that from. And I know where, um, what my approach was. I know what kind of device. So everything is really has a value, right? It's so great. So I love talking about these. And since we talked previously about those codes to create an AV fistula, I wanted to talk about how to code that in PCS. So uh, for those uh, procedures for the AV fistula creation, what is happening? Well, it's considered a bypass. This is what they're doing. They're bypassing those structures uh, to create that uh, fistula, to create the anastomosis. So the fourth character body part would be representing the body part that it was bypassed from. And the qualifier would specify the body part bypass too. So when you're doing a bypass, you have to know those items. 
Now, so for this hemodialysis access, they're creating this uh, AV fistula for, right? Um, the blood flow is generally bypassed from an artery to a vein, right? That's what's happening. We talked about this process. So for a left brachiocephalic AV fistula, we have a code 03180ZD. So let's break that up. So of course, medical and surgical, three is for our upper arteries. We discussed bypass, which definition means altering the routes of passage of the contents of a tubular body part. So zero, three, one. Next, we need our body part, which of course, in our case, we're gonna choose the digit eight for the brachial artery. Remember, it is the brachiocephalic that we're doing. So we have to know, of course, where it's coming from and going to. So of course, that includes those areas there. It's open for us, so our next digit is zero. And our device character, number six, what is our device character? Well, we're gonna choose Z because there's no device. No device is being left in, there's no skin substitute, no autologous synthetic substitute that we're doing, right? Then, But look at our, of course, uh, qualifiers. We have several. We're used to sometimes having a Z there, no qualifier, but we have a qualifier because we need to know that information. We need the qualifier to tell us where it was uh, bypassed to. So in our situation, it was going to the upper arm vein. So it's going to that system there. So we're gonna choose D for upper arm vein. That is where it's being bypassed to. So kind of cool, right? And don't forget your ICD-10-CM codes. Uh, so when we talked about, right, the purpose of once that fistula is mature, they can, of course, do that access. Um, but a non-maturing or a non-developing fistula is a mechanical complication. So sometimes we have those, of course, we have the encounter for codes, what are they being seen for? But we also may have complication codes. So T82590, other complications um, of a surgically created arteriovenous fistula. So remember our T codes. We have codes for breakdown, displacement, leakage, so many different types. So don't forget our complication codes. Of course, we have other codes that we have to be aware of when it comes to what the actual problem is, but always, always look at our complication codes to be aware of, of how to do that. Well, we hope you enjoyed our episode today discussing cardiovascular coding. I'm loving my journey into cardiovascular coding. If you're also on this journey with me, uh, I encourage you to keep going. And of course, remember, this episode does qualify for a CEU if you are one of our members. Jump on over to patreon.com slash life as a coder. That's patreon.com forward slash life as a coder. And you can, of course, join one of our memberships there. Everyone for a dollar a month gets a, this episode. And so only a dollar, right? We keep our memberships low cost and affordable. Everyone gets our episodes for free. But if you want a CEU, it's a dollar for this one. If you want our bonus episode happening later this month, where we're going to be going over the risk adjustment uh, test exam preparatory, it's going to come, of course, with a uh, CEU for your bonus members. That's your $5 members. And of course, if you are a VIP member, you get three CEUs a month. So for the month of August, you're going to get, of course, this episode. You're going to get our CRC exam prep uh, discussion. And you're going to get a free webinar from our site this month. Our free webinar is our introduction to DRG. 
If you already have purchased that in the past and you would like a replacement webinar, you can let us know. But for the most of you that that are VIP members, that's your going to be your free uh, webinar this month. So to get your three CEUs. And don't forget, VIP members get 10% off of our virtual healthcare summit happening September 10th through 12th. We have some great presenters. And for you cardiology people, Kimberly Gillivet Williams, one of my go-to ladies for cardiovascular, is gonna break up the evaluation and management guidelines specific to cardiology. So she's gonna talk about those those conditions, those uh, those diagnosis options. She's gonna talk about the data and she's gonna talk about those risk areas. So don't wanna miss that. And remember, you can purchase individual day tickets. So if you just wanna hear things for Friday or Saturday or Sunday, jump over to www.ozarksummit2021.com. That's O-Z-A-R-K, Summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, 2021-2021.com. And of course, pick your level. You can also donate if you are, of course, not a coder and you're listening and you want to donate to our charity. We're going to, of course, uh, be donating our proceeds, uh, percentage of those to directrelief.org to help coronavirus victims um, and those suffering from the disease and those who, of course, uh, benefit from their charity. So we, of course, encourage you to, of course, join us at our virtual healthcare summit. We're going to give away a Healthcare Worker of the Year Award. Please, of course, nominate someone by emailing admin at ozarkcoding.com and submit your nominations. We will be giving away a gift card to uh, a winner at our event, and we'll have lots of giveaways every day. Don't forget, you get additional CEUs uh, for attending our live sessions, our live QA sessions. The, of course, conference comes with 20 CEUs with an additional 1.5 for attending those sessions. And you also get CEUs for attending our, of course, lunchtime networking. We have Project Resume and Epi Compliance. So please join us for that. That's again, www.ozarksummit2021.com. And to the Life as a Coder podcast, as you know, it's always our goal to educate and inspire. The knowledge you gain today makes you powerful tomorrow. Never give up on coding. Never give up on learning. This has been Jennifer McNamara with the Life as a Coder podcast. I want to thank our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, Epi Compliance, and of course, our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Wednesday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.